0: Hey friends, Future Jake here. Before we get started with today's episode, we didn't record any root news, but I do have at least one item you have to know. So it's time for root news. <laughs> root news. <laughs> Kyle and Sam are not actually present right now, but I do have their sound effects available when needed. Anyway, there's a new tournament on the horizon called the Dusk and Dawn Tournament hosted by Endgamer131, and it features a brand new deck that Endgamer designed themselves called the Dusk and Dawn Deck. There's a link in the description to a Google Doc, which has a sign up for the tournament, a link uh, to a BGG article explaining the deck itself, and links to all of the maps that are going to be used in this tournament, which are all custom and fan-made maps including Endgamer's Taiga and Tidal Flats map, as well as two remaining maps that'll be decided by a poll within the community. There's a link for that in the Google Doc as well. And the winner of the tournament will receive a physical copy of the Dawn and Dusk deck. All right, now on to the episode. Josh Yersley, you're hey. here! Hey. Josh! Ah, so good to see all of you <laughs> for the very first time. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for being here. Josh, will you tell people who might not know, who might not like go to the Leader uh, Games website and look at all of the personnel every other day, who exactly you are? <laughs> yeah. So my name is Joshua Yersley. Um, I am the
1: editor at Leader Games and uh, one of the game developers. Um, so principally, whenever you have a rules question or rules frustration or bit of rules rage, I'm the principal person that you should be angry at. Because I, yeah, because I. What if you just love
0: a rule so much, you're like, oh man, this rule is so good. Should we send you a letter of appreciation? Uh, You can CC me on the letter. You know, that's (laughs) that's a collaboration
1: between me and the and the designer. But yeah, you know, the love, the hate. I mean try to make the hate nice but uh yeah anything rules related
0: Uh, and you've worked on root obviously but you've also been in the development cycle of all leader games ahead of that or i mean beyond that i assume like oath and arcs and such i have been i have been involved in
1: every leader games game except tech i don't even know if the company was technically founded at this point um but patrick leader made a game called trick-or-treat many many years ago and i think technically it was leader game but
0: i'm not actually sure sam and kyle are both nodding like it's the first mixtape they ever got of a band that hadn't released an album yet.
1: yeah i i I, so this was pre-kyle so trick trick or treat was uh it was patrick leader uh he uh he designed it but this was before kyle came on board so if leader games is defined by the pa- patrick leader <laughs> kyle Farron uh team as like the seed then that would be pre you're answering
0: this yeah. like a rules editor right uh-huh, now. Yeah. That. <laughs> <laughs> that, well, well how would you define leader games yeah exactly there's so
1: many yeah let me count the ways let me count all the ways that you can define this company um, yeah, because the, the company, yeah, the company has grown over time. And uh, it's interesting because I feel like now for over the past, like basically around the start of the pandemic, the company has stayed f- like fairly stable in terms of its people There there have been some that, that have that have left and some that have joined. But like the company has gone basically went from like two people to 13 people in like two years and change. That's crazy cool. That's yeah. so impressive. Yeah, I mean, vast um, vast was enough of a hit. This just really weird, you know, kind of janky. And I can say that because I worked on the, those rules too. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, kind of janky, just out of this world experimental game. You know, enough people loved it that it it got the it got the company rolling. So
2: yeah, absolutely. So were you there when Root kind of like took off? Oh, yeah,
1: no, I I I was I was working on route from the point that Cole came onto the company Um, You know, I was super super excited because um, I had played Pax premier first edition Mm -hmm um and i was just like what is this game like this is just out of this world um and i had such respect for cole and so when i heard that he was coming on i just about like lost my mind i was like this is like it's like the the best the best of my life right now it's like my basically my like designer obsession right now and it's been wonderful working with him ever since and so yeah i was i was there through um you know, basically, since since Cole came on, I was there working with him on route.
0: How did you join Leader? How did you get into games professionally?
1: Yeah, so it's kind of a um, it's kind of a funny story. So I went to school, both undergrad and grad school, for materials science and engineering. So I was a science kid, um, and in grad school, I was going I was going for a doctorate, and about two years and change in. I realized that, um, there was really no path toward the life that I was envisioning, which was academia. Um, I basically took, mm. yeah, I basically took a look around and I was like, there is a 7% chance that I will get a tenure track position. It will be somewhere that I don't want to live if I do get one. And so academia was out. And then when I took a look around at the industry, so I was working in semiconductors for computer chips and things like that. And and looking around at places like Intel, I was like, oh, ah, I could go work at Intel. But um, the problem is, is that when you work in industry, in computer chips and semiconductors, a lot of the work that you have to do is in these places called clean rooms. Are you familiar with these at all?
0: No. Yeah, it's where they have uh, the suits and no germs can get in, right? So everybody's in, like, uh, like hazmat suits?
1: Yeah, ba- ba- yeah, basically. So in this case, um, you know, if we're working on computer chips, you don't really need to worry about germs, but the same principle applies. It's a place where there can't be any dust, there can't be any particles. Dust. It has to be yeah. a very yeah. controlled environment. And so, yeah, you're suiting up Um, You get this huge, this, this full head to toe suit on, goggles, I had a, I had and have a beard, so a beard net on and everything. There are no windows, all of the lights are yellow filtered, so everyone looks like a zombie. And it's just an awful environment to work in, if I'm being honest. And I had been in that environment for half of my day for many years at that point. And I was just like, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Um, and so when I went to my graduate advisor, you know, I told I told her like, yeah, I don't think that I want to continue on with the doctorate. I think I'm going to stop with the master's. And she said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, I think I'm going to I want to work in science publishing. Um, and she said to me, well, I'm the editor in chief of a science journal. Do you want to come do some gigs for us? <laughs> And I was like, yes, I would like to do that. That sounds amazing. And so over time, basically over the course of the next year or two, um, you know, I was doing science editing. And this was kind of this was around 2013. And so this was kind of when Kickstarter was really like starting to take off in tabletop games. Mm -hmm. And I basically just like... (laughs) kind of embarrassed to say is i basically just started cold calling
0: people i basically said like that's not embarrassing that's that's enlightening i think a lot of people need to do that more that's really great honestly that you're admitting this
1: (laughs) yeah so so i was like i bet that people need editing help on their rule books and so i just started asking people i was like do you need help do you need help do you need help and funnily enough um the very first games project that i worked on Uh, It was on this role-playing game called Nova Praxis, and it was a hard sci-fi role-playing game, and when I told the guy making it, um, when I told him, like, my background, I was like, yeah, background in sciences, like, I have the science editing experience, he was super psyched that I had science background, because he was making a hard sci-fi role-playing game, and he was like, oh, you can, like, fact-check me, and I'm like yeah like a bit (laughs) i mean as far as i can as far as i can um and so you know funnily enough my first games you know rules editing gig was kind of a lot on the back of my science background there you go um and so i free i freelanced for for many years um and about like four years into freelancing um i went to this uh game play testing convention called metatopia it's this um this fairly small um playtesting convention in new jersey that's run every year and i um i played a game uh in development by jeff tidball um who was uh a a uh big big guy designer at uh fantasy flight games uh and now um uh, atlas and many other places, um, fairly prolific designer. Um, I played one of his games um, and we you know, exchanged business cards and everything like that. Um, and basically he went on my website uh, and I had written a blog post there where I had basically broken down the rule book for Chaos in the Old World, just an, an amazing, amazing asymmetric um, strategy game um, that I love, it's one of my favorites of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had basically done like a loving critique. Like, you know, here, here are the places where I think that this rule book could be improved. Here are the reasons why I think it could be improved. Um, and Jeff ended up going and reading that blog post and he emailed me and he said, Hey, you should know that I like wrote that rule book and I agree with your critique (laughs) and so i have this friend patrick leader who needs a rules editor so i'm going to forward you to
0: him because he needs a rules editor so that's the story this is so great this is this is what people need to hear because honestly like we have we have a fair amount of content creators who listen to this podcast and I, i like i think just them making their thing doing what they love and showing it to people can get them places and you've proven that that happens. I'm kind of the same way. I just was interested in games and I was PAing on a set and I started offering to write. I just cold called the person who was producing and that's how I started getting into the business as well. That's that's amazing. That's great. That's so cool. And so then you joined a Leader right around when Root was starting? So, uh, Jeff
1: Jeff referred me to Patrick because Patrick was very close to the end of finishing Vast. Mm-hmm. And ah. Patrick needed a rules editor. And so I edited the rules for Vast in... Two and a half weeks, something like that. Like it, it was, it was a, it was a breakneck. Yeah. It was a breakneck process, basically. It was like they were right at the end of that project. They needed the rules to be improved, and I was basically like the pinch hitter coming in right at the end.
0: And for those of you that don't know, vast it's an asymmetric dungeon crawl kind of thing, right? Like one of the most asymmetric games. Yeah.
2: And so for you to have to project like all of the possible interactions within two or three weeks is a is a tall order.
1: Yeah, it's more wildly asymmetric than anything else than we have ever made. And for good reason, in some ways, you know, it, it, it was it was a test case for how far you could push asymmetry and in what ways. Um, and we learned a lot from that project and we, you know, imported those lessons that we learned about asymmetry into our later projects. But yeah, it, it was, it was, uh, it was a last minute kind of thing. (laughs) So, um, and, and so I worked on vast, um, and then, you know, root came along and I came onto the, came onto the project when, um, when we started with that. Um, and it wasn't until, oath that i actually went full time with leader so basically uh i had worked you know as a contract editor um and some of that work did involve you know the more you get involved in editing rules Um, and the longer you spend on a given project, the closer that tends to cut toward development work. And so like some of that was certainly cutting toward development work, but I did not become a full-time employee until August, 2020. Wow. Um, Uh, basically when oath was conceptualized, Cole talked with me and he said, you know, we're going to be doing this gigantic project, you know, it's going to be nuts, like bigger than roots. Um, you know,
0: uh, which is a crazy would, thing to hear, given what happened with Roots. Like, right, exactly. <laughs> expansion exactly. upon its creation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's going to be bigger than Roots.
1: Um yeah. And so, like, we are going to be using a lot of your time, and so we would like to basically put you on full time contract. So you'll still be, you know, you're you're still running your business, you're still doing freelance, but like, we will basically say from, you know it was probably something like August, 2019 through February, 2020, we will take, all of your time <laughs> we will give you as much we, we will give you 40 hours and then you know whatever whatever it takes <laughs> um and uh, so i accepted that contract uh and then like february came around and it was like yeah we probably need to like we're gonna spend some more time with this game do you want to yeah. extend the contract and i was like yeah this is amazing Great. working on it because like at that like in that project like i was Like, basically, when I came onto that project, it was definitely that was the you're a developer now, like you are you're coming in at, at an early point in the project where, you know, you're still leading the rules, but you were definitely doing development work. And so by the time we got around to February, it was like, yeah, do you want to extend? I said yes. And then a very funny thing happened in March twenty twenty, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. and so basically when I, when we you know finally figured out like okay what ways up how do we continue developing this game in this environment um, just what do we do basically like how do we continue this project in this environment once we got all of that figured out we started talking and it became clear that they wanted me to come on full time and I was more than happy <laughs> in august 2020 to have my my the the the, cl- the client that both would have enough work for me to do to have a full-time role and that i would just adore working with to have that team say do you want to go full-time
0: yeah like five months into the pandemic was just like absolutely like yes <laughs> yeah, that's especially a dream. that point when it's like the the dire straits of the right. five months in right exactly exactly well and for those who might not know about what development means in terms of like game design is like the development is the actual creation of the rules and the actual like staking of the flags in terms of like what happens in the game whereas you before you were kind of editing and helping fix and smooth the edges around what they'd already created now you're actually having a hand in the creation of the game
1: yeah and i should be clear so there's as i mentioned before there's a very it's a very fuzzy line sure um you know and every company works differently too and every and every company works differently when i when i freelanced the vast majority of my freelance work in rules writing and editing was a publisher had finished the game um they had a two to four week time period where i would get the rule book and they would say edit the rule book um so there was no there was no (laughs) and and sometimes i fix it josh yeah. Fix, fix it. it basically. Yeah. And, and, a, and a decent amount of the time there, I wouldn't even be able to talk with the designer.
0: <laughs> like, That's I, insane. I would, That's insane yeah. because most of your edits are actually questions for the designer, which is like, did you mean for this to be this way? Or what do you mean by this statement? Right? Right. Exactly. Because you don't, you don't fix the problems. You need to understand the problems. Exactly. Exactly.
1: And so, and so a lot of my freelance work was what I, what I term assembly line rules editing sure sure um, you know it's very you know it's very staged like a, a, a the way that a lot of publishers work is that they buy designs from designers who have gotten the design to a certain level of completion and then the publisher finishes the job with some degree of designer involvement or not um, and so my role was to fix it um, and so it very much <laughs> It very much was not a development role; it was a fixer. It was just a plain, plain old. You are right at the end of the process, and you are trying to fix this thing. Um, now, whereas... if you're
2: at, if you're that far into the process, Josh, can you say like, can we reword any of these components, or are you just working on the rule book?
1: Yeah, no, certainly. Like any, you know, anything that would be listed out in the rule book. You know, I could, I could, it's not always the case. I could have say over, you know, there, there are certain projects with like larger publishers that have big marketing teams, for example, that might have some very specific ideas about what something needs to be named, but like by and large, yeah, you know, I I could say, you know, it doesn't really make sense that like this is called like blah, blah, blah. It should really be renamed. Um, but Mm. yeah, broadly, anything that had to do with text in the rules or aids, you know, throughout the vast majority of projects that I worked on in my freelance days, you know, they would still give me a good amount of leeway there, but it definitely was not a deeply collaborative process. And it certainly wasn't a development process. So when I say a development process, some things that I, you know, when I think of development on the rules side, um, you know, I think of things like, okay, not just thinking about the rule book, but also thinking about So in Root, for example, thinking about player board layouts. So one big thing that I did in Root that was not something that I would do in most other freelance work that I was doing for other publishers is that, you know, I would, first of all, I would actually sit down and do playtests. Like that was not something that was possible with many of these other publishers because the timeframes were so tight. It's just like you have two weeks... Yeah. In two weeks, in order to do an to like actually edit something and proofread it and stuff like that, like that is gonna eat up a lot of your time, especially if you are a freelancer and you are juggling two or three or four or five projects at one time. <laughs> um, you know, you just don't have time to do playtests. And so for something like Root, the p- places where it shades more into development are things like Okay, people are having a super hard time understanding how the Vagabond works For example, (laughs) yeah (laughs) Where in the current design of the player board where pieces go how everything is organized? Where is the 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 graphic design for for example? Where is the intersection between graphic design and? Rules and the rule summaries on the player boards. How is that all hooking together into one system? So like in the, in the time that I was working on rule books for other publishers, it was just like, okay, you got the rule book, you might get an aid or something like that, work on the text, other people worry about graphic design, blah, 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 completely disconnected. Whereas in Root, the place where it started to shade in development was, no, you're gonna be sitting down with people, you're gonna be running usability tests, you're going to be taking that feedback, you're going to be changing uh, aid components and suggesting rules change. Like when I when when I worked on, on Root, um that was basically the point in my career where beyond very very small things i felt comfortable going no this this, this is not a this is fundamentally not a workable rule to explain we need to change this okay Um, okay. so like that was so like that was the point where my work transitioned from um from just pure rules writing and editing off the back of the designer's vision to actually, in this case, collaborating with Cole to make sure that
0: you know this wild asymmetric game works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a natural transition. Like you should be involved in that process if you're going to be constantly editing it anyway. <laughs> it's like yep. keeping an eye out on those things before they even cross them.
1: Yeah, like, like an an example, an example that I'll I'll give here is um uh one of the <laughs> one of the first. Usability test that I ran um, for Root, Cole had recently put in the dominance cards. And <laughs> yeah. and, and basically what happened in this playtest was everyone sat down and one player was like, okay, I'm going to play the Marquise. You know, like she's got pieces everywhere. Seems like it will be kind of a chill deal. You know, like... You know I'm everywhere, right? How, how <laughs> could it be? Uh, and then in in the starting hand, she draws a dominance card. And at this point in time, there was no there was no limitation on when you could play dominance cards. You could literally play a dominance card like the very first card in the entire game. There was no like, oh, you have to have at least ten points, whatever. It was just like, yeah, you could play the marquee. Go, oh, I have cats everywhere i'm gonna play a dominance card that seems like a really good move right and she had the worst time just <laughs> so awful because the as you might imagine everyone else just keyed in on Piled her on. and yep. beat yep. beat her into the ground yeah. the entire yeah. game <laughs> and
0: yeah it was really hard to watch i mean especially with play testers because they'll be like oh so you'll win if this occurs so, we just that's mm-hmm. all we do is not let that happen. Exactly. They're so meticulous in a good exactly. and dangerous way.
1: Yeah. And so, that was a case where I was like, well, like, my part of my job here, my job is not just to make sure that the rules work and are understandable, but part of my job is the new player experience. Part of my job is making sure that somebody literally cannot. like turn one like it it became very clear that we needed to put some kind of at least soft break on this completely game altering thing that you could do where it's like you are going to be playing a completely different game you do not understand the implications yet and looking back on it maybe we should have even went further and said hey for your first game don't even put those in like i sometimes think about that um but that was a case where I was starting to understand my role more holistically as you are also trying to be an advocate for the new player experience in all ways rather than just making sure that the rules are good.
2: That's wild. I would not have thought that you put the 10 point rule in there to prevent people from doing it too early because they'll get stomped. I would have assumed that you would put that in there because it's like, oh, the marquee starts everywhere. If you, you know, glob up your cats in the right clearings, no one even has their pieces online to do anything about it, but... It's it's actually the opposite where <laughs> you don't want to have a new player experience what it's like to get 3v1 <laughs> on turn 1.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I mean certainly the, what you're describing is another good feature of having a a thing where it's like no the board state should really like develop a little bit before yeah. we allow people to have this other victory condition that depends on on um on rule. But yeah, the original that was the original <laughs> impetus behind putting putting that rule in. That's great. That's
2: interesting. Okay, yeah. So it, globbing more on to root here, Josh. Which factions did you help develop and design?
1: Well, I mean, it's a hard question because it's like, um, it it's a sliding scale.
2: Um, yeah. the it cor- seems like it's a band over there. Like everyone's, you know, contributing to the song. And
1: yeah. it really is. It really is. You know, the way that we run projects is at Leader is very much a okay who has the skill sets slash who wants to develop their skill sets um sort of mentality um so you know like the core factions you know I was you know I was involved in developing that game from the point that it became a studio project until finish the degree of um deep design work. Like I I wasn't like, you know, completely reconceptualizing any of these factions. I wasn't doing huge recuts of any of these factions. But I was very much uh, I was very much contributing a usability angle, often from the perspective of a so like often what I would do in these usability tests is I would sit people down at a table and have them learn these factions just from the player boards. Like, I would basically say, okay, here are the like the basic rules of the game. Like, this is a move, this is a battle, this is crafting. Here's how you win. Okay, now show, show me how to play this, this game with this faction. And so, basically, I was feeding Cole all of this feedback about, um, okay, fundamentally, this asymmetric game needs to be learnable at the table as much as possible without referring to the rulebook. How do we do that? And so throughout the these usability tests, I would basically be the new player advocate. I would gather this feedback, synthesize it many times off, offer suggestions for how to change um, rules or rule sets in order to um, fund very, very much focused from the usability angle. So I would I would say that I was deeply involved in usability work in all of those core factions. and then. Uh, including in the river folk faction since we were working on that at the same time. Why yeah. did we do that? Um, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I, I have I have more to say about all of that stuff, um, but then uh, in um, in underworlds um, basically in underworlds I got much more involved in development work of all you know all strokes um, you know like the the Corvid um, like bluffing system. I went out a couple times for like week long, like development jams with the team in office. And we would just jam out like we we would we would play through the factions and we would just do these really intensive development sessions over those over those periods of time.
0: And you mean like a creative brainstorming of like, what could this be if we did it this way? And then you just play tested it out kind of thing.
1: yeah, exactly. because ba- basically, kind of the long and short of underworld was, you know both both the moles in the and the corvids um were were there they were conceptualized and and designed by Patrick. And then at a certain point, Patrick, like Cole and Nick Brockman and I, basically said, "Okay, let's bring these to the finish line." Um, and the moles largely are the same form, kind of as as Patrick and envisioned them. Um, and the the crows went through a bit more of a radical rework from from the from the original mechanics, still maintaining the the vision, um, but the, the the corvids are further away from patrick's mechanics than than the moles are moles are very very much patrick's um and then the corvids are kind of a patrick cole me nick amalgam faction (laughs) i would say and so cole yeah so cole and nick and i were we're all working together in doing the development of those factions basically in in underworlds um and then finally in marauder I did a lot of the development work there. I was a point person on the discord managing all of our playtesters. testers. Oh. Um, I, I designed the badgers badgers is my, is my faction. Uh, so yeah, I did a lot of development work on, on the, on the rats. Um, but still like it's, it's very, very much Patrick's Patrick's design. Um, and I did development work on that a- along with, um, Nick and Cole, Nick and Cole on Marauder were basically like the leads on hireling stuff, um, like that. Like I, I, other than like rule stuff, I didn't do all that much development work there. I did, I did ultimately like little development work on on the on the hirelings, but like the Badgers, like. I w- was was my design and, and I did um, div- a lot of development work on the on the rats as well. So that's kind well, of the sliding scale over time, becoming more and more and more of a developer across the root projects. Yeah, essentially. I will say
2: if you had asked me uh, which one of these factions was designed by the rules editor. I would have told you the Badgers. Uh Yeah. (laughs) Definitely the trickiest uh, faction to initially grok, but I do feel like it is so rewarding once you finally start figuring out what you should be doing. And they're very... Very good. Yeah, they, <laughs> they
1: thank you. Yeah. No, we yeah. wanted to make sure to strike this balance in that expansion where we were very aware that the Badgers were tricky, puzzly thinky. Some people can very much get caught in AP with them. They are designed yeah. to be a puzzle faction. Um yeah. you know, they they they're fundamentally a pick up and deliver puzzle faction um whereas you know the rats are you know they're they're the wild card burn everything down faction that uh you know that i actually really love um in turn if like looking at all of the root factions if you were to ask me like if i were to teach a game of root to new totally new players using any of the factions in the game, the rats would be one of those factions. Um because they're so they're so evocative. They're just like anybody can (laughs) hook on to like, yeah, I'm just these bloodthirsty rats with torches just trying to burn everything down. They're very, you know, you can hook you can hook into the theme just like immediately. It just immediately makes sense. So yeah, we were, we were very aware that we wanted to counterbalance the um, the, the 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 thinkiness and the the heaviness of the badgers with um, the 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 greater accessibility, uh, straight, straightforward theming and just fun, just pure fun of the rats, basically.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Love that. Um, so as Root has expanded, you know, I. Um, and you're the rules editor, right? You have to keep everything on rails. So, what has been the biggest challenge, like kind of as you keep adding these extra modules and extra factions? What's been like the biggest challenge, rules wise, for keeping things on on rails?
1: Things being on player boards. <laughs> yeah. Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. You only
1: have so much room. You mean? No. What I mean is that once something is on a player board, at this point, oh, we oh. can't oh. change it. Yeah, so okay, we got so it. it's just locked, right? It's locked. So, like, you know, we did this thing early on with Root where at the point where we didn't realize just how big the game was going to be, where we were like, yeah, we can, like, change the player boards. We can, like, make the game better for people. We can, like, change the VP on the Alliance board and, you know, do things like that. And it's fine. And, like, that was you know, somewhat painful, but like fine first time. <laughs> but like once once the game started hint, hitting like the, th- you know, the third printing and the fourth printing and the fifth printing and the ten- I think we're we're on like the 10th printing now or something like that. Wow. Um, basically, like once enough roots were out there, you just can't you just can't change the hard components like it's just not yeah. fair. It's yeah. just not fair to yeah. people. And we had come into developing this game very much like Cole Cole is like a war gaming background and I play a lot of war games and like in in like heavy war games like GMT games and things like that it's like a reasonably accepted thing that like if a designer wants to like make some updates to the system that are like fairly impactful like yeah they, they, they just do like that codex
0: comes out or some errata that's organized yeah. in some way and everybody right. gets on the forum and figures it out
1: Right, so like you know, we very much had that mindset at the beginning of root. I' just like, yeah, I just changed playboards, and our ops team event like basically after we did that, our ops team had to be like, no, <laughs> sorry <laughs> you you cannot do that. and like that's fine. like i I also at this point, I'm like it is,
0: i I agree that it is yeah, not you fair. realize they're right, even though you right. want yes. them to not stop yes. you, you get it right is exactly. that is, it's just such a logistical hurdle and a big ass to change tell all the fans to change what they have it, right exactly exactly and so
1: like when the fan base was not gigantic it was like okay well we are we are um we have a probably like hardcore fan base it's like the, the thing is is that like in war gaming you have those like hardcore fan base and so like the mindset was okay you know we have people out there some of them are going to really love the game some of them, like the, the people who are going to be playing this game over and over again are probably going to be fine with making some of these changes. It's better for the game. But once it became clear that this was going to be an evergreen game that was going to have a huge audience, it was just like, no, it's not fair. Um, so um, so basically um, having things printed on player boards means that even in cases where you don't actually want to change the way that the game works in the end um, but you want to change the framework for how rules are written and how things, how how different rules hook into different systems. So the example that I'll give here is the otters, and so like the otter mercenaries. When we release them, they they have a very specific way that the rules are worded so that it 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 works in the in the game, like like in terms of how um, pieces contribute toward rule in terms of like when you can act with them in terms of like how that is talked about in the rules and part of those rules are actually printed on the player board and so if you go back in and you say well no now that we're putting in hirelings and we want to revamp the entire framework for how we assess um pieces that are not your faction pieces like Reworking that framework so that we have a clean way of saying, well, when we say this, we mean that you get to have these privileges with these pieces. Because for the otters specifically, there are probably some other places too, but the otters are the ones that come to mind. Because the otter mercenaries had certain rules written on the player board, I cannot go back into the rules documents and change those rules the board is the stopping
0: process a little bit just because that's the the permanent exactly
1: that is yes that is the hard component and so i'm i am unable unless i want to make an absolute nightmare for myself in saying yeah, forget about those words. On the player board now. Go, d- doing the thing that we're, tr- we're we we do not want to do anymore, which is which is saying, yeah, there's an upgrade kit. Blah blah blah. Go print out some stickers. You know that, that sort of thing.
2: Um, <laughs> I still got my stickered boards, Josh. Me too. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. they yeah. look great. <laughs> Good. Um, but yeah, but
1: because like you know that's not what we're we're all about anymore. Um, because we have a lot more people to accountable to essentially um to to try not to confuse them out of their gourds um you know uh yeah the hard components become a limiting factor and so because root this may sound really wild but we never thought that root was going to get another expansion beyond riverfolk really yeah we we thought that riverfolk was going to be it and so when i wrote the rules I wrote the rules assuming that that was going to be it. And so um, for something like arcs now where we are assuming there are going to be more expansions, I can pre-build in all of the hooks that I need in order to support future features. But but that was not true for Root. We (laughs) thought that Riverfolk was going to be the last one. And I was like, great, cool. That's all I have to worry about. And, you know, over time, it's like, nope, you have to go back in. And you basically the process is somewhat akin to trying to rebuild a foundation, um, like by like pulling out certain bricks and hoping it doesn't like fall over and then like sticking in a brick, like while while it's like leaning on its side, basically. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it that the 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 limitation the combined limitation of there are hard components that. Ha- in some cases have framework level rules on them that you can't change combined with the fact that we had never actually planned for root to have more expansions beyond river that se- has severely restricted my ability to
0: actually write the rules
1: that I wish I could write, but sure. I physically cannot. And I'm sure as a balancing so.
0: nightmare too, like of ju- which isn't necessarily your realm, but it's just like, Oh, we, we did these six factions. Now there's going to be four more. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, balancing is always a factor. Um, you know, certainly
0: like. I mean, maybe um, even more in your realm is just rules interactions between the factions because they're so distinctive. Right. Like, oh, well, now when X interacts with Y, this is something we haven't contended for, you know?
1: Right. And so, like, you know, an example of, uh, you know, a shift in the framework, it, the framework rules um to to allow for some of these interactions are things like the force keyword in the new in the in the newest printing where like we were like okay well we are making and it was brought about by the um the lizard hirelings where basically we were like okay we want the lizard hirelings to be able to, you know, there ha- there there th- there should be some cross control over pieces. There should be some ability to mimic the sense of 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 making making people do things. Um, but we only have a tarot card, basically. <laughs> and so, if if we are to make a lizard hireling that actually feels like the lizards. We need to go back in and dig in the guts and like reform the way we sure. think about um, players having control over other players' pieces. Yes. Yeah. Um. And and so like you know yeah. If 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 originally we had planned for the fact like oh yeah you know what are some things we want to do oh we'll, we'll probably have you know have some more factions that gain some sort of control over other players' pieces like that would have been a keyword that I would have put in originally and I would have been able to do it in a much cleaner way than I was ultimately able to do.
0: Right. You would have made it a mechanic of the game as opposed to just a aspect of that faction.
1: Right. And, and, and in that case, like in that specific case, there were basically situations in with the, I I remember going through the vagabond rules and there were places where like that sort of keyword, like kind of works and some places where it kind of didn't work, because like the 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 other the other aspect, going back in and trying to clean this stuff up with something that's more standardized and something that's more extensible to new factions in the future, because you know we we are probably going to do you know at least one more expansion. You know, trying to go back and do this cleanup work you still need to make sure that as much as possible you aren't changing any of the rulings and sometimes you have to it's like ultimately Uh, you may you you like look at the trade-offs and you go well we can't do this thing that we think is important unless we change this ruling and that always sucks. It always sucks to basically go, yeah, I know it was this way for like two and a half we years. We
0: established this, and now we, we have to...
1: We this, and now we have to change it. It's yeah, always... it's, it's difficult. Fant- it's fantastically painful for me to do that. I, I, I hate doing it. Um, but sometimes, and ultimately because... The combination of we we hadn't thought that Root was going to, like, basically, we we didn't think Root was going to be just, like, gigantic. Look,
0: you can't let any dust yep. get into the clean room. You have to keep it secure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay? And you have yep. to do whatever it takes. I understand, Josh. I get it, man. Yep. Like,
2: now, Josh, you mentioned, uh, you know, that there's probably at least one more expansion. OK, is there like a is there like a final plan? Like how many more expansions should we expect? Is there going to be like a, a root master edition where you can rework the player Ooh. boards? Like what's what's <laughs> on the horizon here?
1: Yeah, um, there are rough internal roadmaps. But honestly, I think part of it all comes down to our stamina. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Um, yeah. Because like we're a small team. It's like we we have 13 people. Um, you know, the, 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 the fact is, is that once you have made like a lot of stuff for a game, you start to run out of ideas and the, and and even if you have good ideas, it takes a while to get excited about doing it again because like after marauder you know i i was so deep in marauder like when we finished it i didn't want to think about
2: root for a year yeah i, I, I completely understand all of us have worked on artistic projects where we're like mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm. and so, sounded fun when i signed up for it and i wish i it, it, this was supposed to end a year ago you know? yeah. Like,
1: yeah exactly so you know um you know we, we have rough ideas um it seems very likely that we'll do another one. As far as multiple more, well, uh, I have no, yeah. I, 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 could, There's I couldn't, I tell clear you. Number. That's yeah, that, that, that's too far out. There's not a clear number. Um, I know that Cole like wants to be a lead on one. So like I, I would, I would feel somewhat confident that we'll do one more big box one um but big box did you just oh, say big no. box Jack- i said no, the just forbidden words yeah i said <laughs> the forbidden words um yeah and as far as like definitive editions go i don't know it's just it's one of those things where like god i like hope that we can because like i feel like you know we've we've learned so much as a company over all of the years and it would be great to go back and do like the oh you know yeah the 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 absolute like yeah what is our like dream versions of all of these factions um you know i i certainly have um you know i certainly have a few rules in mind that i would change with factions that i worked on um what's an example yeah you know what
0: let's just go into it let's we're gonna ask this (laughs) later but let's do it now like let's let's go through them
1: absolutely um yeah i mean like uh one was um so you know in talking about um root con coming up yes. this this year you know the 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 you know you, oh, you yes. pose this quest this question to me yes, of like did. what are, are there any are there any rules that you you know any 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 rules changes that you would put in for this tournament and um you know the the one that i said was uh for the corvids i would really love it if the corvids um embedded agents rule was not an extra hit on defense when you have a face down plot but was rather an ambush hit because the whole point of
0: this rule is deterrence yes mm-hmm. now now to be clear i i originally read this as like an ambush as in you would deal two hits instead of mm. one but it was before and then i reading it again i realized what you mean is and this is for everybody to understand what you mean is that mm-hmm. it happens ahead of battle as opposed to during battle right exactly so it and s- could determine it could determine the outcome ahead of time if only one warrior is attacking an undefended plot or just a plot. Oh, sorry, a, uh, a face down plot.
1: Yeah, and so in this, you know, hypothetical rule that I like, but is not canon by any means. Yep. Um, uh, yeah, like it, you, you would never want to go in unless you were the Badgers. You would never want to go <laughs> in with just one with one warrior against a face down plot because the ambush hit, like basically the ambush hit would just kill the warrior like yes. before, before things even started. Um, yeah. And so, you know, so like when we were working on underworld um, on one of the um, design, the like design development jams that I was in the office for basically for that week, we had hired on um, something like eight or nine playtesters to literally come in every single day and just play Root just for the entire day Yeah. Um, and um, there was a period of time uh, before the Corvids even had the embedded agents rule at all <laughs> And let me tell you, they were getting stomped on (laughs) extremely hard with extreme prejudice. Um, And so, you know, the Embedded Agents rule was a step in the right direction, but I don't think that it goes quite far enough for what Because ultimately, ultimately, the Corvids want to play this game where they're daring people to do things to them. They're daring people either to make guesses or to suffer from going after yeah. a plot that really isn't all that important for their overall strategy and will attrition away their their warriors harder than um than, than, than well you, other sh- cases you should want to also
0: incentivize exposure over just straight battling a little bit because you want to have to play the conspiracy game a little bit right exactly exactly
1: and so like that sort of rule uh creates a kind of deterrence that focuses the faction closer to its core basically like mm-hmm. for for me at least like i'm biased because of how attached i am to the way that it to exposure because i i, I ideated a lot a lot of that part but like uh like that's where I want a lot of the action to be. I, yes. I want it yeah. to be the mind games. I want it yeah. to be no, like it's going to be an uphill battle. Everybody's to... battling.
0: Yeah, everybody's battling tokens out anyway. You want this to be the mechanic of it is you have to kind of play the game, right?
1: Exactly. You have to play the game, and the Corvid's game is a guessing game <laughs> <laughs> fundamentally, um, or or at least you know, in in I, I I see less exposure than I want basically, and so. What 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 is the most direct and thematic route toward tweaking that design in an extremely low overhead way toward that core? And my opinion is it's that ambush hit on the on the embedded agents. So
2: love that, love that. That is juicy stuff for us to chew on. Do you have any other rules that uh, you you've thought of a possible <laughs> you know uh, um, I don't want to say solution, but alternative for.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that um, it's possible that the Badgers' recruitment's too good. Ooh. <laughs> it's, it's possible it's too good. Um, sp- well, you sp- have not
2: seen me play them, Josh, because uh-huh, I'm yeah. not good. I still haven't <laughs> figured it out.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, very, it's very interesting. You know, I think, I think that for, like, a lot of players, um, like, I think the Badgers are, like, a pretty hard faction to play. Like, um, yeah. you know, there's a lot going on. Um, the route to victory... Um, there are a lot of steps yeah to toward to get it getting points from relics um but the fact that you can just slam <laughs> ten warriors down if you feel like it um there might there might need to like in in my ideal world if i had like another you know month to 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 develop them a little bit more my impression is i, I might stick some sort of like something like maybe a a once per super turn um Mm -hmm. cap on it or something like that just to diversify what you need to do in order to put down those like gigantic gigantic badger stacks but it's not something that i'm worried about especially they're 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 not like a they're not a it's not a degenerate strategy as far as i can tell to like hold on to a lot of cards and then like slam like you need to be Like it takes a long time to like get points from relics. So like you need to be working on that problem. And so it's not something that I'm like worried about in any kind of sense. It's more of a hunch that there might need to like in the ideal badgers. There might need to be some kind of limiter at like the very high end. Um, So that would be the other one that that comes to mind.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And I don't know, um, does anyone at leader, are y'all paying attention to like the competitive scene at all? Does that factor into any kind of creative decisions y'all are making?
1: Um, well, so like right now, you know, we're not really working on route. Um, so, right, right. Um, so like cer- certainly I, I, for example, like Garrick and I talk, um, Garrick um, Garrick yeah. samples. Oh, yes. Um, and I of talk, Friend of the um, pot. yeah, I mean, I, I, I figured, I figured he knew, you <laughs> every so often Garrick will like send me the list of like, (laughs)
2: all right, here's all the things we
1: need rulings on
0: basically. It is a minimum a list. Yep. yep.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And, and along, along with that, Garrick Garrick will sometimes talk with me about like, you know, like the, the, the um, non rules is written, like tournament rules that they're thinking about and things like that. And, um, you know, certainly like we like to hear about, degenerate strategies and problems it's like in the most recent printing we changed the way that like vagabond coalition chaining worked yeah basically because it was just getting stupid (laughs) essentially (laughs) is like the short way to put it um so yeah no there are certainly some things where the competitive scene it's like you know fundamentally for like a lot of the root audience something like a vagabond coalition chain can form the basis of just kind of a hilarious at the table
0: story of like oh i remember that time which is fun like remember that time that crazy thing happened game perspective of just having a great time absolutely right right. and then when it puts in the competitive context exactly so you have you have these different contexts um
1: and it's always important to keep a pulse on on how different you know different people are interacting with the game and in a situation like that it was not that hard of a decision just to go yeah i mean the number of times that like a casual game is going to like stumble into something like that right
0: right. you know what
1: what's like the upside and what's the downside it's like well you know we might
0: it's mostly upside because it's a viral moment yeah. in their lives, in their board game y- career, you know. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah, um, yeah, and so like thinking, thinking about a situation like that where it's like, yeah, like some people are gonna stumble into that the table and it might be really fun, cool, but like there's also this other like just stupid degenerate thing that's happening. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, you know that that was not a particularly difficult um, call. To make because it just wasn't coming up that much in casual play anyway sure yeah so you know if it was something that was you know kind of jank but like was generating a lot of fun across a lot of groups and it wasn't causing a lot of problems, then maybe we would have made a different decision. But yeah, that, that was, that was not a hard call.
0: So I like, I completely understand the whole, like we're not working on roots. So we're not paying attention to right now. And especially when Mm -hmm. I, especially as like you're working on a project for so long and then you finish it, you're like, I do not want to think about that for six months for sure. But like, do you guys, uh, do you guys take a pulse on the metas that develop out of the competitive scene as well? Like what X team is, overpowered x faction is underpowered etc or more well so certainly certainly as we go into the
1: development of a new expansion we are assessing like how are these new factions going to fit into the meta what is it going to push against what um sorts of combinations are going to be fun um you know is it going to um is it going to make the cat's lives even harder? <laughs> you know, for example, you know things like that. Um, you know, so certainly, yeah. You know, we 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 do we do pay attention to that when we're getting into the into the the ideation process for for big expansions. Definitely, it's just yeah, it's not something that we have time to do unless we're working on a product because um, you know beyond beyond the other games that we're working on. You know we're also doing um localization support for yeah, um right. partners in other languages um we are doing you know errata and clarifications just generally um how many languages know, there... is root in oh I, it's okay more than more than 10 i will okay, say okay okay wow. yeah,
0: more
2: than 10 wow. that's great um yeah, Kyle, you had a question about Root Digital, yeah?
0: Oh yeah, I mean, like as as part of your ongoing kind of support for uh, or like upkeep of Root, do you find that you interact with Direwolf Digital at all on the Root implementation? Because there's some rules, some like really small things that are pretty different from the app to the rules as written, and like, how do you feel about that?
1: Yeah, so basically, um, yeah, when when we do. When we make changes that change rulings, um, you know, we will talk, we will talk with dire wolf, but it's right that the digital game does have some rules that are on purpose different from, right. from the, from the board game. And those decisions were made basically just for playability purposes. So that largely to prevent um, certain interrupts where when people are playing multiplayer, it doesn't especially um async um stuff to prevent a case where it's just like alright it's field hospital's time
0: yes. like yeah. yeah
1: make a decision and you have to do that every single time yeah. Yeah. <laughs> every single time Marquis warriors die. It's just like that's that's just too much to ask basically um when when you're thinking about remote play. Um, so yeah, I mean it's it's like it's not the rule that like in a vacuum for the design specifically is the ideal rule in some cases but like it's always about trade-offs yep. you know right this is fundamentally in like the field hospitals case and others it's fundamentally a case of okay what are the things that are helping the game to be fun for players and what are the things that aren't and constant interruption and flow break is not fun right, right so yeah it's it's like it's a it's a shame that like in some cases these aren't the rules that we think are better from a fundamental design perspective but yeah i mean if it means that people are actually able to play these games in the ways that they want to play them in a way that is very close to being um the um kind of as designed experience then. You know, that's that's just a trade-off you have to make. So
2: Yeah. It's all about trade-offs. And I and it and it is just very playable, the the app. It's so great. But still yeah. every time I uh battle the vagabond, I gotta wait for them to damage their items. So um yeah. Yep. But it's all it's all trade-offs. <laughs> um we've got some questions here from some listeners, and we filtered them, Josh, so they're not coming hard at you here. Don't <laughs> worry. Um uh we've got a question from Squidmark here. Uh they ask. Why did you change it from whose nearest enemy homeland clearing is furthest? (laughs) Uh, For those who don't know, this was an ad set uh, rule for the birds uh, about how far they could set up away from another uh, uh, player's homeland. And the phrasing was whose enemy homeland clearing
0: whose nearest enemy homeland clearing is furthest. And to be clear, for those of you not in our Zoom call, Josh actually has a forearm tattoo that says whose nearest enemy homeland clearing is furthest. So he's he really rides on
1: this. <laughs> um I do so funnily enough, I I do I do remember this vaguely. I I do remember I do remember the eerie uh ad set card being hell basically (laughs) um because uh you know the the fundamental i think before when we were talking about what makes my job hard and in in some regard or like what makes what makes working on root hardest um there there was a this idea of not having enough space and the ad set cards are where that comes out in spades basically of just like you have one tarot card Um, and sometimes you have to condense, you're not only condensing down old rules, but you're also adding new rules, um, that, that have to be, um, that have to produce the intended setup result and actually be understandable. Um, and so, um, I'm just trying to think about, um, so basically in the ad set, one of the problems, um, one of the problems that we ran into a lot. Um, and I, I, was, I was less involved in ad ad set and hirelings than in the factions, but I, I did d- do some, a little bit of development there. Um, one of the problems that we were running into was that, um, because these, because the ad set cards, um, produce a much, uh, higher variance in terms of like the possible setup states, um, there are just certain, there are certain setup states that we just had to say no, it just absolutely cannot be allowed. And so for the Eerie, because like um, they're starting with a death stack that necessitates yes. uh you have to be careful with where you let them start, because right. what you don't want to happen, like one example of what you don't want to happen is the Eerie starting right next to the keep. That's just right. one one example, basically. But ultimately, because the Eerie are starting with such a concentration of force, you need to have a rule that molds uh, them, uh, uh, molds their starting position in a way where the other players have a little bit of breathing room. Hmm. Um, and there are many ways that you can do this. Um, ult- you know, Ultimately, a lot of it was uh, compare- com- comparing Homelands uh, clearings. Um, a lot of the other ways of doing it we found so like i don't know if you know this but um defining the edge of the root map is actually very very difficult to do in rules writing <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um so um so we, we we tried we tried a lot of different ways of sort of molding different factions um starting positions that looked at like you know corners and edges and homelands and all of these different things um, and uh, so for the Eerie, you know, I don't remember all of the specific reasoning that went into our, our final decision there, but that's just kind of a um, a little look inside of of the complexities that we we're working with with those ad set cards.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the game, I mean, there's 10 totally asymmetric factions. I mean, the the juggling act you have to do is very difficult, and that's why it's kind of fun to find these, like, hyper-specific uh, moments, um, one of which we got stumped on the podcast here, yeah. Josh, mm-hmm. and as, and I can't remember, well, we talked to Garrick, and I think that Garrick was a little on the fence about this too, which really says something. Um, but, it alright, so if the Badgers are battling the Spring Uprising hireling, okay, mm-hmm. and they, they have to forfeit a card in order to battle them, right? Yes, yep. Let's say they don't have a matching card. Therefore, they cannot battle. Can they still delve in that clearing? Because they must battle, then may delve, right?
1: Yeah, so um, this, this is without me doing the thing that I would normally do, which is <laughs> pour over the rules like a madman for about
2: half an hour <laughs> yeah.
1: before saying something. Yeah. Um, but but my, my ruling in the situation would be that they cannot delve. Okay, and the thematic reason for that is that um, They are like thematically they are going into the forest and they are pulling that Relic out like they they are going on a mission to do that And if there's somebody there and they can't deal with them Like if the if you think about them like blocking the way essentially like if they can't get around them They can't go into the forest (laughs) And so, from, from, from a th- uh,
0: that's my thematic ruling. I love yeah. that you chose a thematic ruling on this. That's fantastic. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, you always, you, you always like a rule is only as good as its justification within the game world. Sure, sure. Like you, sure. Can, you yeah, you can, you can make it, you can make any rule you want. You know, the, the language is, language is infinite, right? You know, you can, you can, <laughs> you, can you can create any kind of arbitrary, <laughs> opaque, you know, system of logic that you feel like I actually, um, uh, this, is this, yeah, this is kind of a tangent, but, um, so, uh, there's this cafe that I love to go to downtown and there's a guy there, this guy named Charlie. He's this 80 year old, um, former professor of philosophy and logic. And so like, he loves talking with me about rules because like rules are logic, you know, it's, it's a lot, it's a set of logic. Um, and, um, what he tells me all the time uh, is that the reason that he loves logic is that you can make up whatever BS you want. <laughs> you can, there, there is nothing, <laughs> there is nothing limiting. And this is a professor of logic. There is nothing limiting. Like you can, as, as long as you set the axioms for that logic and you say, here's our starting point. You can go, anywhere you want using language sure. and it's mm. it's just um and that's its great strength and its great weakness is its yep. flexibility so
2: <laughs> awesome uh, a couple like fun personal questions that we want to know uh josh what's your favorite root faction my favorite root faction is the eerie
1: yep Ooh, i nice. love the eerie uh i love um you know i like i fell in love with the eerie like hard packs east um this would have been 20 i want to say 2017. um we were demoing the game for the first time at like a big big con um and i was on demos and i and at this time the team was smaller um, but we were still trying to run like a, a, a really solid like we we're still trying to have a really solid presence. And so we, we hadn't really gotten our like good like working the con relaxing balance worked out yet. And so I was working like six hour, seven hour, eight hour shifts or whatever, just demoing Root over and over and over again. <laughs> and I fell in love with the Eerie because they are so easy to get people excited about. They're just, yeah. like, like the punchline of turmoil and the government yeah. collapsing. It's just so good that, like, yeah. it's 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 almost impossible not to get excited when you see how excited other people are about the faction. <laughs> and the tension, and just simply at the table, the tension of that turmoil looming over you, basically, <laughs> it just makes them yeah. delicious to play. Sure. Um, and I also, just from a purely, like, politics nerd sort of perspective, think that out of the um, out of the core factions, I think the Eerie has the sharpest. And this goes back to the idea of how easy it is to sell them to people and get them excited about it. It has the sharpest and clearest political statement behind the mechanics. So yeah. I love them for so many reasons. See, I assumed it was yeah.
0: because they must follow the rules or else they turmoil. <laughs> and you're like, I
2: must follow the rules. Yes. <laughs> that too. That too, of course. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite root card?
1: Probably going to be one in the Excels and Partisans deck. Good answer. Um, yeah. Um, I said favor of the mice. Fa- Cole said that, yeah. Class, classical, yeah. No, I mean, I mean the, um, the 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 favorite cards are like the prototypical, like, oh my god, like the the the, the 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 like casual tables and the people playing it for the first or the second or third yeah. time, just like gonna lose their minds, and it's so cool. And then like as you play more and more of the game, it's like ah, uh, there's there's like kind of some problems with these cards a little bit. Um, um, but like, uh, so my favorite card is probably. Um, Coffin makers. You're right. Oh, I yeah, love, sure. yeah. I love coffin makers. Coffin very makers. Strong. Yeah, very strong. The art is amazing. <laughs> I love yeah. it so much. Um, and it very much plays into my like, so you know, I I I I talked about how I, how I love the Corvids because they're they're forcing people to play this very specific game and saying, You're gonna have to play my game now. And Coffin Makers very much is that thing too, where it's saying mm-hmm. to the rest of the table, you're gonna have to play my game now. Like, if you start fighting, like this is what's going to happen. And by having that card and shifting the gravity of the table in that direction, it just feels so. I just love cards that are so hooked in to the other players sure. and inner and and morphs and molds other players' behavior like that. So I, I love Coffin Makers.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, we're very excited to see you at RootCon in August. Yep. Um, but given some things that kind of were a little rumblings on the internet this last week, um, we were curious on the podcast of who we get to play in the Root movie. Mm.
1: <laughs> well, there are so, there are going to be so many vagabonds in the Root movie. I actually, I actually know <laughs> nothing about the Root movie basically. So I'm sorry to disappoint you. Uh, 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 the, what I, the, the exciting thing that I knew about the Root movie was that it was something that we were thinking about and, and, and now and now that our cover is blown, i don 't have that exciting thing to share anymore um, yeah it's um it's very interesting um and yeah the uh the writer strike and i we're we're all very much in favor of uh of the writer strike you know people need yeah. to be paid what they're due um <clears throat> and have good working conditions. Um yeah so the 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 writer strike comes at um a, a strange moment for that that project you know it's 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 not something that I'm set in stone by any means like um uh but uh but yeah it's um it's it's very exciting um i i really can't talk yeah you know, I only know a little, and what I do know about it, I can't talk about. Um, so, well, as I, I long hope... as you
2: know where to forward our headshot and resumes, that's all yep. we need. Yeah, yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: Jake, Sam, and Kyle, you will be, you'll be in the the opening credit spreads. You know, as we're panning across the uh, the woodland with the keep in the background looming with its shadow cast over all of the uh, burrows.
0: We're gonna be the heavily like hooded bandits that the arbiter just. D- decapitates yeah. yeah, the yeah first yeah. few <laughs> so minutes of so down. Just to establish how badass he is. Yep.
2: <laughs> all right. Uh, I think that's all I got before Ruperty. Jake, Kyle, you um, all have
0: anything? I think there was one good question we missed, which is the Nevekinez's question, which is that... Shouts to Ned. Yeah. It's often said that one has to kill your darlings in game design. Is there a scrap design that was your favorite, and why didn't it work out? hmm Good question. Maybe from that root jam too. You don't have to say it's your favorite, but like one of the ones you were keen on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good question. Yeah. It's such also, a good question. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, Nev, I, I will say before, before, and this is me um, giving myself time because I'm frantically thinking it's, of yeah, an it's answer. Really cool. Um uh Nev, uh, man, such a good playtester. Right? Like, so honest good. honest honestly, like Nev, the Badgers would not. Be anywhere near as good as they are without all of the good critique that you gave. Like, I, I, I like, there were so many times where, you know, and this goes for so many playtesters in our, in our, in our Discord, but, um, like, I remember the feeling of seeing a Nev, like, multi-page long yeah. like like it's analysis. always was a weird text file thing. Yeah. Yeah. Just like really 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 in-depth and well-thought-out critiques of the work that I was doing and I always appreciated it. Um so yeah, thanks Nev. Um yeah, things that were left
2: on the cutting room floor. Um I mean, you designed the badgers. Do you wish they were turtles? <laughs> 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 I I I do
1: I do so funnily enough um uh one thing uh that I do kind of th- this, th- this reminded me um one thing that I do kind of miss is um before we had settled on which um like which creatures were going to be tagged to which fa- like what 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 the faction creatures were going to be you know the turtles were, were an option in there but at one time um the lord of the hundreds was actually the badgers there was actually the the, oh. the bad there was a badger lord of the hundreds it wasn't the rats yet and so there is a um kyle um drew up fully illustrated oh. and colored a badger lord of the hundreds oh. that is just this like vicious vicious so like there are american badgers and there are european yes. badgers <laughs>
0: yes yes um, i've been down this and I, hole
1: and i always forget which one's which but Kyle drew the one that's like nightmarish <laughs> yeah to be the lord of the hundreds just like practically <laughs> foaming at the mouth with like chainmail <laughs> on like big broadsword and like i look back at that image some, at that illustration sometimes and i'm like yeah i could have seen it that way too so I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm 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 like i'm i'm really i'm really happy with how it came out but i look at that sometimes and i go man that would have also been really really cool that would yeah, have been maybe a, cool a, take. a
2: piece of card art in the future or something mm-hmm. you gotta see that yep. scary badger
0: yep the yep. keeper of the hundreds that's amazing <laughs> mm-hmm. i want to yep. get
2: that art
1: I'm gonna email. Yeah, him maybe we'll tomorrow. do. Uh, maybe we'll do like uh, a a mashup expansion where we we mash the first and last halves of the names of all of our factions and create just Frankenstein's <laughs> monsters must... that should never have been brought to life
2: in the first place. It's just a warlord mood called Badger. <laughs> yeah.
0: You must oppress <laughs> then delve. Yes, exactly, uh. exactly. <laughs> awesome. Uh, well, Josh, thank you so much for being here. Uh, we want to do some Ruperty, is that right? Okay, here we go. Here we go, folks.
2: Uh, welcome to Purdy. all right? Uh, we are joined by Joshua Yersley, as well as, uh, Kyle and Jake, as always. Uh, this, uh, week's game, we have four categories. Each one of the categories has three questions, worth either one, three, or five points, and the difficulty definitely scales that way. Um, and then we will have a final root pretty where we can bet our points uh, in in the final one here. okay, so the categories are root, the motion picture <laughs> to the number of the law, uh, Farron, balanced <laughs> and root pare, okay? Uh, astute listeners will know some repeat categories, but no repeat questions. okay. <laughs> Uh, Joshua Yersley, Uh, you have uh, the board. Uh, You can pick any one of those categories worth one, three, or five points. Uh,
0: Well, that was one of my favorite rounds of Ruperty, yet, for sure. (laughs) And if you want to listen to it, you can go to the Good Time Society Patreon and uh, donate at any level to hear that episode and all previous episodes of Ruperty. Josh, (laughs) thank you so much. So much for being here. Thank you, and I'm Josh. so excited that you're coming yeah, to RootCon. Absolutely. I'm so excited to party with you and talk more about Root in person and in front of a live audience as well.
1: Likewise, yeah, I uh, I, I will say also that was my favorite round of Root d too. <laughs> right. So yeah. I am uh, yeah, I'm super excited to come out to RootCon. Um, Cole, I, I assume that you've heard this, but Cole will also be coming out. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, both of us. Um, so it'll be good to. Yeah, I get stomped in uh, the exhibition game by, uh, you know, <laughs> hey. whatever, like, expert, you know, sure. 22-year-old root player has been, like, pumping iron in their ba- basement for years now. Just getting ready <laughs> just to Just staring at a poster of
0: you that yeah. has, like, a dartboard on it as well. Like, yeah, it's perfect. Yep. Give them that badge. They need it. Like whatever. Uh well, the next time you're in a development meeting and you guys are talking about okay, well, so what's our next project on the horizon? And right before Patrick's about to speak, what I'd love for you to do is to start chanting.